Hey, it's Jenny Holbert, and this is the Wild Wellness Podcast, where wild stands for women into living their dreams. This is the place where you'll hear from me and sometimes a special guest on nature-inspired living, personal growth, and soulful lessons from the outdoors as we explore how to feel wild from the inside out while you're on the path to living your dreams. Because I'm here to remind you that when wild women wake, mountains will move. This is episode number 18 with Kate Swoboda. Kate Swoboda is the creator of YourCourageousLife.com, director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification at TribeCLCC.com, and author of The Courage Habit, How to Accept Your Fears, Release the Past, and Live Your Courageous Life. She helps individuals, teams, and companies see where old fear-based habits have kept people stuck or started to limit what's possible for an organization and then start creating more courageous lives by getting into the courage habit, a four-part process for behavioral and organizational change. Kate has appeared in Mind Body Green, Entrepreneur, USA Today, Forbes, Lifetime Moms, The Intelligent Optimist, Business Insider, and more. And her website, Your Courageous Life, was named a top 50 blog for happiness by greatest. She's spoken at conferences and seminars on the topic of courage as it relates to personal development, releasing overwhelm, business and marketing, money mindset, wellness, increasing emotional resilience, and healthy goal setting using habit formation techniques. You can find all of the resources that we talk about in this episode and links of where to connect with Kate and her website, yourcourageouslife.com, in the show notes at jennyholbert.com forward slash 18. Now let's dive into this amazing conversation with Kate Swoboda, also known as Kate Courageous. Kate, thanks for being here. I'm really looking forward to our chat today, but before we get into all things on living a courageous life, I would love to know what are you doing for a workout or to move your body today? Mm, So later today, Um, I have a day stacked full of interviews, which is like both very exciting and also like, whoa. And tonight at 5.30 Pacific time, the plan is to go to the gym, get a little strength in. And then at 6.30 Pacific time, my triathlon mentor, Holly Wick, who um, like podiums in her age group for half Ironman and Ironman distance triathlons, will be leading a spin class. And I want to say that she told us it's going to be hills. So I'm like, oh, dear. That's awesome. Oh, so good. So it sounds like it'll be intense. And I know you are training for the triathlon, which I do want to dive into more later and ask you more about that. But for now, maybe we should start with going back a little bit. And I would love if you could take us back to when you began to realize that you weren't happy anymore in your corporate career and how that has led you to what you do now? Hmm. Well, I mean, the first thing I'll say is that it was a complete surprise to me to realize that I was unhappy in my career. Like that might seem like a weird thing to say, but what I mean by that is basically that I, you know, went into my career. I thought this is what I want to do. I worked hard to get into the position that I was in, I bought the suits, I attended the meetings, I went to do the extra committee work to get to where I wanted to be. 
And I, I, you know, I am not someone who considers herself to be like really overly dramatic. Not that I never can go there, but on in general, pretty pragmatic. And it was a total surprise to me this day that I was sitting in a meeting and um, like this thought came up that I just couldn't ignore anymore. And it was, I don't want to do this anymore. It was just like the clearest thought. It, you know, it's like when the truth comes knocking at your door, how do you, how do you ignore that? Like, it's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Wow. And I'm like sitting in this meeting and it was like this surreal kind of moment looking at everybody else's meeting, talking about things we need to do and sometimes asking me questions and, and just this clear thought that like, I didn't want to do this anymore. And I felt like, you know, just completely stressed and weird. And I, you know, it, it was one of those thoughts that at the time, like I couldn't even totally argue away. It was, you know, like it just hit so clearly and it was right. This meeting had been scheduled, you know, maybe that's why it was a tipping point. It had scheduled the last hour of the workday before everyone was going on Christmas break. So it's just like, <laughs> you know, everybody's already tired and ready for vacation. Mm. Um, and, and this was like the last hour because that was the only time that everybody could meet. And um, I remember going home that, that Christmas vacation and just doing what I think of as like desperate journaling and, you know, what do you want to do with your life if you knew that you would not fail? And what, what is it that I want then, you know? Um, but, but yeah, that was like the, the moment. And then in hindsight, I started to see all the signs that were there, you know, chronically being tired and headaches and always pushing myself and never giving myself a break. Life wasn't fun anymore. Um, I would say, I wouldn't have said that I was clinically depressed, but I would say there was like a low grade depression that had set in where I just wasn't very happy. I was irritated. And it's just like, uh, so, um, yeah, it was this life that looked really good on paper, but didn't feel very good to live. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's important. Looked good on paper, but didn't feel good to live. That's really interesting. What you just said about the physical symptoms or things that you picked up on in your body too. Um, maybe something that a lot of people wouldn't think about, but you said in hindsight, you know, you saw that you were having certain things go on like headaches and fatigue and that, and so many people might just think of those as other things, other things that are for different reasons and not associating it with that. Mm -hmm. But in, in my holistic view, I, I would agree that those are all, you know, signs from the body or messages from the body that, just things are, things need to change. Something's out of balance. Something's out of, you know, not even in the truest sense of the word balance, but just something's out of alignment. So that moved you in a different direction at that point. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was this whole process of self-evaluation mm -hmm. and I had never done such a, you know, at that point in time, I mean, I would always say I was very personal growth minded, but at that time it was personal growth minded in this perfectionistic it's always out like how do I push to become better mm -hmm. so like my running at that time was all about you know getting in the surgeon general's recommended 30 minutes a day of physical activity and trying to I, I mean I would just go out and I would just run this three mile loop that I did at the time and I was just always trying to push my my time mm -hmm. you know push my time push my time push my time so it's like this you know thing of of like it was 
you know, there's, there's a difference between going, Hey, I actually want to improve what I'm doing. Um, and I'm gratified by it, you know, and, and then there's, I'm trying to improve what I'm doing because I have this predestined idea in my head that it's where I should be. And there's a very big difference between those two spaces. Yeah, definitely. And that probably lends in a little bit to your new book, The Courage Habit, How to Accept Your Fears, Release the Past, and Live Your Courageous Life. Why did you write this book? Why did you feel inspired to get that message out? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a writer. I mean, this is, you know, I've been doing the, the I, I, Your Courageous Life blog since the dinosaur ages, you know, <laughs> been, you know, writing. Um, I, I used to hand code HTML files before WordPress existed, you know, and I would, I would put blog posts and stuff up on the internet and, um, and writing a book has also been, it's always been a, a personal dream for me. Um, when I was a little girl, if you had asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, it was, I wanted to write books. And when I was, you know, a child, it was, I wanted to write children's books. And when I was a teen, I wanted to write like babysitter's club, sweet Valley high type mm -hmm. books. <laughs> and, you know, when I was in college, I wanted to write literary fiction and then, you know, imagine that, you know, I become um, somebody working in the self-help space. I become a life coach. I'm the director of a life coach training program. Um, and, and I want to write about, you know, um, self-help and, and actually the next book I'm working on. I mean, I, I've never told anyone this before. Um, and I don't know where it's going to go. And I'm hoping this isn't the kiss of death, but the next <laughs> book I'm working on is a, a triathlon memoir. Uh, so, you know, let it be known, dropping a, a, a fresh thing here on, on, on the podcast. On your <laughs> Beautiful. Um, but basically I, I think that, I think we live in a world that where people hunger to feel more courageous in their lives and not in the ways where it's like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to like smash an Ironman record and jump out of an airplane and like climb the tallest mountain. And there are people who do that. And that those are all totally valid. But I think that there's something deeper in how we can live courageous lives. And, and to me, it's about trusting yourself completely. And it's about how, living in such a way that who you are on the inside becomes how you actually live on the outside. So it's like marrying the two. It's no more of this. It looks good on paper, but it's not a very good life to live. It's, it's actually like it might not even look good on paper. Like I'm aware that people make jokes about life coaches. I'm not, you know, I'm not stupid. I'm aware that people, there are people who think it's a ridiculous profession, but it's an incredibly gratifying profession for me. And I've, I'm, I'm like, all right, what better way to, you know, I tried the life of let it all look good to other people when I tell them what I do at a party and that didn't really work. And that didn't really make me happy. So why not spend my life doing whatever I can in service to um, going after what really makes me feel gratified, even if it doesn't necessarily fit for everybody. And life coaching is gaining more and more acceptance all the time, which I love. So there's that too. In the courage habit, I know you talk about fear and like on the opposite side of that, maybe you, you do say that fearless is a myth. There's no one who 
goes after something important to them that manages to avoid feeling fear. We all feel it. So Mm -hmm. the more important thing is finding ways to deal with it. And we have these fear-based habits that we can have or courage-based habits. So what's the difference between the two? And can you guide us through that conversation a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So like, I'll first just touch briefly on how habit formation in the brain actually works because it is brain. Um, when habits are formed in the brain, they run on what's known as a cue routine reward loop. So you feel a cue of fear, you go into a routine and you get a reward and the reward is whatever diminishes the immediate feelings that are uncomfortable. So, this is all controlled by a part of the brain called the basal ganglia or predominantly controlled, right? Our whole body works in conjunction with other parts, but the basal ganglia, I like to think of as being like the brain's project manager, like stuff is coming in and the basal ganglia is like, never seen that before. What do I do? Or the basal ganglia is like, yeah, I've seen that before. Here's what we did last time. Let's do that again. So that's how the basal ganglia, is going to pull you towards whatever worked last time. So for instance, if I just think of like me in my old career, I would feel feelings of fear or dissatisfaction. I would go into a fear routine or a fear pattern. Um, mine, my predominant fear pattern was and is perfectionism. And that fear pattern would give me a reward and it's a temporary reward, but it's this like little reward of feeling just a little bit more in control in my life. Now in the long term, doesn't work for anybody, but in that moment, it becomes the thing that we default to because in the short term, it's effective. And there are really four predominant fear patterns and they are perfectionism, as I mentioned, There's people-pleasing or martyrdom, which is like always putting other people's needs or um, the needs of your job or your kids in front of your own. Um, There's pessimism, which is just that like, what's the point? Somebody else has done it better. Be realistic. There's no time. And then there is self-sabotage. And all of these are forms of self-sabotage in some way, but particularly the nuance of self-sabotage that I'm talking about here is when it's like you, you procrastinate to the point of cutting off options or you work hard to get something. And then when the client calls you to say, yeah, I want to hire you, you like avoid returning their call. So I'm talking about more direct self-sabotage maneuvers, mm-hmm. um, getting to a certain point, you know, it'd be like doing all the training for the race and then not actually showing up for the race, not because you're injured, not because you can't, but because you're just like, oh, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Doesn't work for me to get up, do this race. Right. Um, and so what we can do is we can start to learn how to identify, whoa, where am I feeling a cue and going into a fear routine that doesn't work for me? And where can I swap that out for a courage-based routine? And the four courage-based routines are accessing the body, listening without attachment, reframing limiting stories, and reaching out and creating community. And it, it's, it's literally work of going, hey, these fear-based habits, I've been practicing them for a long time. I got to at first do the hard work of interrupting those habits over and over and over. And then I'm going to get to 
a point where by default, I start turning to the courage instead of to the fear. Do you think going back to the fear routines that in working with people that most people self-identify with one of those, or is there a particular way for someone who's listening to be able to figure out, okay, where do I, where do I go most often? Maybe they're thinking they fit into several categories. What's the easiest way to start with that? Well, what I tell people is that we all do all of them, but Mm -hmm. usually one of them is a bigger hook. So, I mean, there are exercises and things in the courage habit to help people distill down to some of this. Um, And by the way, like, like somebody listening to this doesn't have to buy the courage habit. If they head on over to, uh, you know, the courage habit.com website and like, you know, the worksheets and stuff that go with the book are actually available to everybody. So that might might be something that can help. Um, But basically there's, there's, I think it's a lot about internally listening to your process. And then I think it's also about um, accepting that we all do all of them and not getting too hung up on like, which one is mine. I mean, for me, it's really obvious perfectionism is mine, (laughs) but um, I know that I do all of the others too. And I actually was being interviewed by uh, Molly Nahar of Stratajoy and she was saying, I feel like I swing between this one and this one. And I was like, totally. I, I, I would say that's true for me. I, my pattern is I come out gate with perfectionism. And then when I get burned out on perfectionism, I swing into pessimism. Like mm-hmm. once I'm really, really tired from perfectionism, mm-hmm. I'll swing into, Oh, what's the point? It's just not, I can't, no, it's just, I'm too tired, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's if I'm not being conscious. So, you know, you, you mentioned a moment ago, you know, like there is no fearless. And so when I give this example of myself swinging between the two, I'm saying that this isn't a guru model. Everybody's still going to feel afraid. This pattern is going to keep showing up for people. But the difference is it shows up less and with less intensity um, when you start to practice these courage-based habits. And so it's a lot easier for me now to recognize when I'm starting to go into that pattern and then to go, hold on a second, this isn't what I want to be doing. And what do I need to do instead? And to have these other four courage-based habits that I can turn to so I don't get stuck. Could you briefly go through the four steps in the courage habit? Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll say like, okay, so access the body. This is, you know, big thing for you, right? Like getting into your body. Mm-hmm. Um, accessing the body is important with fear because we don't logic our way through fear. We feel fear in the body. So we got to deal with it in the body. And accessing the body can be anything from like your garden variety meditation to going out for a run and really making it an intentional run where you're like trying to cathart something rather than just like, uh, you know, go for a run. And that's a really important part because it primes you to really start thinking more clearly, which is where listening without attachment comes in. So listening without attachment is like you hear what your fear is saying. You're not trying to ignore it or get it to shut up and go away. You hear it, but you don't do your next move based on it. You don't believe that what it's saying is true. And listening without attachment pairs really well with reframing limiting stories. So this is 
This is not positive affirmations. This is very pragmatic, and it, it has research ba backed in several psychotherapeutic traditions, and um, it's basically cognitive reframing. It's going, okay, instead of telling myself that I'm a loser because I can't run fast, what I'll do is I'll go, all right, the, the, what matters is that I'm out here. What matters is that I'm trying. What matters is that I'm interested in this. Mm -hmm. And then reaching out and creating community is, in all the research I did for the creative, the Courage Habit, for sure very important because, um, you know, like we have blind spots, right? Like you have them, I have them, nobody is perfect. And we can all get caught in thinking that we're not enough or, or feeling fear to such a degree that we go into our patterns without realizing it. And when we have a community of people around us, who are going, hey, want to check in with you here, or that you can go to and say, hey, my, my critic is having a field day in my head right now. Um, that's an enormously supportive thing to give yourself, and it really helps you to achieve your goals. It really helps you to live in a more fulfilled and happier way. So if someone um, is looking at step one and access the body, um, I'm guessing that most of the people listening to this podcast on the wild wellness podcast and my listeners are um, have some kind of way that they do that, but maybe not like you said, in the intentional way um, that would help them most in developing courage around that. Is there any particular strategies that you've noticed that is helpful when accessing the body and working with um, the courage to be able to kind of pull the two together and bring that to the experience? Um, well, I, my two personal favorites for really kind of like, like uh, the metaphor I'll, I'll invoke is one that my friends at the Challenge Day organization use. And it's like, imagine that we've all got this emotional balloon inside of ourselves. And when frustrating experiences happen, when we're stressed, when we're tired, when we're sick, when the political situation is a crap show when you're seeing people suffering and you feel like you can't do anything about it, all of that fills the balloon. And the balloon just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Balloon too big, if you don't let some air out, it's either gonna do one of two things. It's either gonna leak or it's gonna explode. And leaking looks like passive aggressiveness, being low grade, miserable, you know, stuff like that. And then exploding, of course, is when, you know, it all gets to be too much and suddenly you're bawling or you're screaming. So I try to do something to actually circumvent that from the get-go. And it sounds like a nuts thing to do, but I literally will put on, um, as a meditation of sorts um, that I call conscious crying, I'll put on a, a track of different songs that always make me cry. And I'll sit down and I'll think about the things that are frustrating me or the things going on in my world, um, the things going on politically that break my heart. And I will actually sit and try to cry. And what I'm aiming for in that kind of a conscious crying practice is we've all had the experience, I'm sure, of we cry. And after we cry, we take a deep breath and we're like, oh, man, I, I needed to get that out. And now I feel like I'm like, okay, reset. Um, I'm okay. I, I can do this. And to me, the the biggest part of that battle is actually making yourself sit down to do something like that. 
And what I'll share related to running, just because that's a topic that I, I am most familiar with, running and, and triathlon. Um, back in 2016, I had this like kind of, in my opinion, nutty person who was just coming after me about some stuff. And it was super stressful. And I just didn't really understand why it was happening. Um, I had to get a lawyer. And it was, it was like, I was training for my first half Ironman that year. Now I'm training for my second. But I would go out for runs and I would literally, <laughs> I would imagine her face on the ground as I was running. <laughs> like makes me sound like this really hateful person. And, and in the higher vision of who I am, of course, I would like, I'm not into physical violence. Of course, I'm not you know, like, like, I, I just want everybody to like, find ways to work out conflict. But mm -hmm. in, in terms of catharting out the excess of anger I was feeling about the situation, it was enormously beneficial. So like, <laughs> if there's anyone listening to this, and you're like, that mom at the PTA drives me crazy, like, don't actually kick her, but go ahead and imagine her face on the sidewalk while you're running. Like, <laughs> it's enormously helpful. Thank you for sharing all of that, because I know that there are people listening who are going to relate to what you said in, in either of those examples. So that's just perfect. I was so conscious the whole time that I was doing it as an exercise. Like it was not like any part of me thought that like harm should come this person's way. Literally, I would feel terribly guilty if something had karmically. Um, I literally knew that it was like, okay, if I don't actually find some way to vent out what I'm feeling here, then I stop thinking clearly. And then I think I would, I was just going to become like resentful and nasty and snipey and angry. And I didn't want to go that route. So that's all I was going to add. Yeah. It's something that, that accessing the body, it's like something that you really work out through the, through movement, through something physical, right? Am I understanding that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Although, I mean, you can, I mean, the research showing that a, a simple mindfulness meditation practice is helpful. I mean, that is just like, I mean, you, you yeah. <laughs> go into Google Scholar and start, I mean, it helps everything. And it's crazy. It's like, if you just do 20 minutes a day of mindfulness meditation, more gray matter will grow in your brain and gray matter is the part of the brain that's responsible for like healthy emotion. That's part of, that's the part of the brain where this, the, the, I'm not an, an, an um, brain expert by any, any stretch of the imagination, but put simply, that's the part of the brain where a lot of stuff is housed that helps you to deal effectively with challenges, with stress. So um, yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing. Like you can, you can freaking grow brain matter. Yes, you can. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. And to me, mindfulness practice like that, that, that is, it's physicality. It's the body. It's yes. It's, you might think of it first as mind, but um, you're still kind of paying attention to your physical being or to the physical world around you, to sounds, maybe to sensations in the body. So I, to me anyway, that, that relates in that realm of accessing the body and being sort of a physical experience in a sense. One mm -hmm. of the things I thought of when you were talking about reframing limiting stories, and I think you gave an example of um, 
something about when you're running, like instead of saying that you're slow, um, I can't remember the example you said now. I'm sorry. I was thinking. What matters is that, what what matters matter- is that you're out there. Yes, exactly. That made me think of one that I have repeated to myself and it kind of went like, it doesn't matter how fast you go, it's that you go. And I have used that myself. And, you know, on those days when maybe I was going to that place of like, oh, I'm feeling so slow today. Like, so, you know, not my, not my normal self, not a lot of energy, but yeah, that that really makes sense to me to be able to reframe that. And, and I can see where it's a little different than just a positive affirmation where there's a Mm -hmm. subtle um, uh, reframing is the best word, but a subtle sort of turning of turn around, like it's the opposite side of, of the Mm -hmm. limiting belief. So yeah, that's great. And it's sort of as the inner critic tie in with, with number step number two, which was listening without attachment. So you're talking about the inner critic there, right? Rather than trying to avoid that voice or please it or attack it, we just get a boundary relationship with the critic, as you said in the book. Yeah, yeah. And our critic will often sound like whatever fear pattern is most dominant. So, you know, if perfectionism is my dominant fear pattern, then I'm going to both exhibit behaviors of perfectionism and the voice in my head is probably going to be a perfectionistic voice in my head. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if pessimism is my dominant pattern, then I'm going to both exhibit behaviors that are, you know, not, not showing that I am very optimistic and then I'm going to be thinking and the voice is probably going to sound very pessimistic in my head as well. Yeah. So in your current training for the triathlon, how does what you teach about courage play out in your own training? I know you've shared a couple examples, but is there anything else you can think of where that's really shown up for you? Yeah, I mean, they're so numerous. And I, I, by the (laughs) way, like habit formation and understanding habit formation has shaped so many areas of my life now. And it's, it's just super cool, like, because you know, like just knowing that they're a cue routine reward and that when you dial that in, it makes things easier. It's like, oh, like you can start setting up all these cues. And you hear about athletes who do this, who like lay out their clothes in a certain way mm-hmm. the morning of a race in order to get themselves into a certain mindset, like, oh, it's race time. Um, but, you know, I, I'll just say like yesterday, I literally was using this work. So where I'm at in my training now is that um, I, I'm trying to, okay. So like my first half Ironman, it was just like, I just want to finish, but this one I'm trying to go, okay. I've heard a lot about going slow to get fast, staying in a specific heart rate zone and letting your body acclimate to staying in that heart rate zone so that you can then start going faster, but keep your body in that heart rate zone. And like Rich Roll in his book, Finding Ultra, he talks about that. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do. And I, I'm, a, I'm a total Fitbit evangelist and I love my Fitbit, but I, I had this opportunity to get a Garmin um, Forerunner at a discount. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. You know, tech mm-hmm. swag, yay, I'm going to do it. And it <laughs> will totally, once you hit the, the run function, it'll actually you know, show you your zones and like, you can just glance at your watching. You can see, Oh, I'm, I'm at my threshold. I'm not in my aerobic zone. So I, I've been training and trying to stay in my aerobic zone, which is about 140 beats, heartbeats 
per minute. And geez, Louise, I just like, I have to go so slow to stay in my zone. And, and I know that this is part of the process because I've read it and I have friends who have done it. And I was talking with somebody who's actually an ultra runner and a graduate of our, our coach training program on Instagram. And I was like, how many weeks is this going to take? She says eight weeks <laughs> at least. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't. And yesterday I'm running and I was just having to go so slow. And, you know, I start hearing this, this voice in my head. It's like, this is so stupid. You have to go so slow. God, this is pathetic. You've been running all these years and here you are. And it was like, literally I stopped running and I went, you know, like and dialogued with this voice for a moment, not out loud. And again, I'm so aware that some of this stuff, it makes you sound like a freak, but I'm willing to sound like a freak to be a more healthy individual, like mentally and emotionally. Um, but basically I, you know, what I said to my critic is like, you know, what are you actually afraid of here? And it's like, you're afraid of looking bad because you're so slow. And then it was like, well, but here's the thing. Like I've been running for years and I'm not getting any faster. Like the fastest I ever run is, is nine minute, nine thirty miles. That's like it. You know, one race, I think I had an eight minute mile split. I don't know why, but it was an amazing race. Um, and, and I just know people who have been running longer than me and they're feeling great running seven and a half minute splits or seven minute splits. And I feel I have it in me. So look, you know, running out and thrashing yourself, it hasn't worked so far. Mm -hmm. Let's try this. And if it doesn't work, you know what? It's eight weeks of your running life of all the, all the weeks of your life that, that I'm going to be a runner and that was like this thing of, of like, okay, like, all right, you know, like I just have to stop. I'm listening to what the fear is afraid of. I'm not getting attached to it. And I'm reframing like at the, at the, at the end of the day, this is eight to 12 weeks of my running life. And if it doesn't make me faster, then it's eight to 12 weeks of my running life. That's so good. I love that you're willing to experiment because <laughs> I can relate to everything you just said so much and being a runner in that same conversation that I've had with my inner critic as well and the same voice and the same sound. It's just, I'm sure other people listening are going to be able to relate to that too. So I just love that you walked through that in such detail and it's amazing that you are being courageous enough to experiment because if you, if, you know, it's like you just said, if, Hey, this isn't working, let's try something different. And that's all it has to be. Yeah. I think if there's no intervention with that voice, when it comes up over and over the cost to our lives is that it spills over into every other area of our life. Before I started doing this work, if I had gone out for that run and my critic had been coming up, which is really my critics just afraid, then what I would have done is I would have come home and I would have been pissy and irritable with my husband and with my daughter. And then I would have probably looked at my messy office. And then I would have been like, God, your office is so messy. And then I would have been like, Oh, and then, you know, of course you're behind on groceries. Like it just would have kept going and going and going mm -hmm. and picked other things to be irritated about. And instead it's like this stop. Let's have some sanity here. Let's get some perspective. Let's slow down. Um, and also, it was a great opportunity to check in on my goal. You know, why is it I want to get faster? And it's like, well, I want to get faster because on a half Ironman course, 
if you can cut, you know, 30 or 40 minutes off of your bike time and 30 or 40 minutes off of your half marathon time, then you like literally you're, you're out on the field for less time. My first half Ironman, it took me eight hours and 23 minutes. That's eight hours and 23 minutes straight of exercising. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so proud that I finished, but I'm also like, Hey, if I could cut between cycling and biking almost an hour off of that, you know, I'm going to be a lot less thrashed at the end of the day. So I still want to finish. It's just, you know, can I finish in a, a sort of fitter way? That's the, the grand experiment. Yeah. And it's worth it. So one last question for you. You you probably know that I like to say when wild women wake, mountains will move, inspired by that ancient Chinese proverb that says when sleeping women wake, mountains will move. And in my world, wild meaning nature inspired, outdoors, but also women into living their dreams. So I'm just curious. I love to ask people, what does that phrase mean to you when wild women wake, mountains will move? I think it's all about coming home to yourself. And I think it's all about when you come home to yourself, you also come home to the world. So um, there's a ripple effect that happens, like like the drop in water that creates a little ripple effect that goes out into the rest of the water. So so if I wake up and I become more courageous, if I become, if my inner wildness opens up, the mountain that it moves is not just making my life better, but it's actually a broader perspective, a broader looking around at the world and going, here's what's possible in our world. And, and I'm connected to it. We're all connected to it. It's, it's not a bunch of isolated islands. Um, we're all in this together. That's what I think of. I love, I love how you've, you know, shaped that into everything. It's, it's beautiful. And I love what you just shared. Thank you so much. (laughs) So before we wrap up, what's something that I can do and the listeners can do to support you? Wow. Oh my gosh. Love, love, love this. Um, hmm. So if anybody decides they want to get the courage habit, um, an Amazon review, super helpful. Like, you know, first time author here, (laughs) Amazon reviews are everything. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that would be so, so great would be seeing people in person and I'm going on tour for the book. So, I mean, like if I'm coming to your city, it's completely free to, to come. And just like if you're a fan of like hugs and non-creepy eye contact and being around a community of other people who who want to practice courage and don't want to settle for just like, you know, Netflix and Facebook every single night of their lives who want to like live these really passionate, wildly alive lives. Um, Come on out and and let's just be in community together. That's what I would say. Yes. And all that information is going to be in the show notes for everyone listening on where you're going to be and obviously how to get the courage habit and everything. We'll share it there to make sure the links are easy to get to. Awesome. Kate, is there anything else you'd like to share or for the listeners to hear? Mm. The, uh, the one thing I, lo- I love leaving people with is, is the phrase, believe in the power of five minutes. So like if any of this stuff that I've been talking about feels hard or if, or if it's something that 
you know, they've heard you talking about and, and they're like, oh, I want to get more into my body or this or that thing is, is really difficult for me. Um, instead of it being like this, I got to change my whole life. Just like believe in the power of five minutes. Five minutes of running is better than no minutes of running. Five minutes of accessing the body is better than no minutes of accessing the body. So just really start with the five minutes. That's what I would say. Oh, that's perfect. Good reminder. You've shared so many good nuggets, such amazing wisdom. I so appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast and share. I love just thinking about your story and and what I know from your journey so far that you had the courage to change from what you were doing, that you had the courage to write The Courage Habit and many others, and to really seek to understand fear and release fear. And I just think the work you're doing is so important. And I am just very grateful for you and all that you're teaching. So thank you so much, Kate. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. And a big thank you to you for listening and being here for this episode and interview with Kate on the Wild Wellness Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you feel moved, please leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app so that it can reach even more people. And if you know of someone who would enjoy this episode, I'd be so grateful if you took a moment and shared it with them. Remember, everything mentioned in today's episode can be found in the show notes at jennyholbert.com forward slash 18. Until next time, keep going. And remember, when wild women wake, mountains will move.